0: Hey everyone, welcome to a new season episode one with one welcome. Today we welcome in Simon Kim, who's the owner of Goat Korean Steakhouse here in New York City in the Flatiron District. Goat is a Korean steakhouse, um, naturally. It's uh, it's a really a good marriage between Simon's Korean heritage with the New York steakhouses that he kind of grew up with. So, It's his take on Korean barbecue. It's a really wonderfully done, tastefully done restaurant. And I've always looked up to him uh, as a fellow Korean-American, putting restaurateur, if you will. So we'll dive right into kind of his upbringing in in, in
1: Tribeca. So my family migrated to New York from Korea in 95. And my father was always a big foodie. Naturally, that made my mother a great cook. She always cooked to impress her um, husband and family. Uh, so we're always interested in food, and and three of my, you know, uh, two of my siblings, including, so three of us were here, so my mother th- and father were like, you know what, we should have some sort of income here, so why don't we invest into a restaurant? And they met this two couple who promised them the world, and we found the lease, and my mother was on the hook for the lease. Long story short, uh, she was in a jam situation, it's either she forfeits the restaurant to the the couple who promised the restaurant, or they had a choice of running their own restaurant. My mother said, you know what? Fuck it. And she just got into the kitchen and started cooking in um, Tribeca. And you have to imagine, like, I'm 13 years old, straight from Korea, not speaking English. It's like my middle-aged mom is going to open a restaurant in Tribeca. And so I was very skeptical. I was like, my mom here... And then, so naturally, um, I started working there as busboy, right? And also,
0: was it a Korean restaurant, naturally? It was a
1: Korean restaurant. It was actually named Kori. My mom named it. And Kori in Korean means, uh, it's actually pronounced Gori, which means to link. So she wanted to link Korean culture with American culture, I guess. And we opened in 2000, I don't know, 1998. And to everyone's surprise, it was hugely successful. Was it a casual restaurant? It was a full service restaurant. It though? was definitely full service. We had an à la carte menu of, um, you know, appetizer, entree, yeah. and dessert. So it was, um, I would say, full service. But um, it wasn't fine dining for sure. It yeah. was kind of a full service, casual esque uh, restaurant.
0: Yeah. So you spent most of middle and high school working there, maybe after school. Mm-hmm. And and did you work other positions too? In- Yes. That time.
1: Naturally, you know, busboy is where you start. So you, I started serving and making a little more money. And then uh, obviously it's the coolest position is the bartending job. So I ended is up, up doing end well. <laughs> yeah.
0: How did you enjoy growing up pretty much in a restaurant family, even though that wasn't really the case? You know,
1: maybe that's what, not exactly what your mother intended to do, but. I loved it. So I'm the youngest of three. Okay. And just to give you a little background on my family, food was always our centerpiece of the family what uh, brought us together and my brother and my sister are also somewhat introverted so it was just me and my mother who kind of uh, (laughs) did the whole thing so for me working in a restaurant was a very natural place
0: yeah so by now you would think that Simon being so passionate about food and, and working at the family restaurant that perhaps he would pursue culinary arts or hospitality management at a higher education sense, but he actually goes a much more traditional route where a lot of Asian American parents want their sons and daughters to have a a quote-unquote better life for them. So instead of going more of the culinary arts, restaurant management route, he actually ends up going to Baruch for
1: finance. So I actually went to Baruch College Mm -hmm. to study finance because that's kind of like what you do in New York City, right? I was doing that for about three years, but you know, that finance world never you know, grasped me. So I was going to school, you know, not going to school, getting into a lot of troubles and whatnot, and, and I was even more lost in college than I was in high school. And something happened in my life. Something, some sort of a lifestyle catch-up happened that time that kind of like totally jolted me. I can't mess around. And at that point, I wrote two transfer uh, letter to both Cornell and UNLV. UNLV. And Cornell rejected me, and UNLV uh, accepted me. So that's how you
0: ended up in the hospitality program there. Yeah, yeah. Which is also UNLV is actually known for their hospitality program, and you went to school there, obviously, but you also worked there as well. How was it like going to
1: school there? What was your experience in Las Vegas like? Experience in Las Vegas was. Just imagine what going to undergrad in Las Vegas is like. It was crazy. It was it really was crazy. So and I love partying, you know, like I still do. So it's like, so my life was pretty for full, you know. I'd go to school from like eleven to two. Right. Go to work. My first real job, right, outside of my parents' job, was um, at MGM Grand front desk. Mm-hmm. So I worked there from like three to um, until almost midnight. Sure. And then from then on, I'll go out to party, and then um, I won't say what, what time I got home, but, <laughs> but I made back to school class next day. You know? So that was kind of um, that was a lifestyle. in Las Vegas. I was there for about three and a half years, and then I got my first restaurant manager job at Shibuya in MGM Grand, and that was my real first fine dining, uh, full scale, you know, up, above ten million dollars in yearly revenue, uh, restaurant management job, and I enjoyed it thoroughly, and I thought I was kind of like of the world yeah but another lifestyle thing like life shaking moment happened you know i got fired from the job that i thought and and the real estate market blew up and that's 2009 oh yeah wow okay so everything so i short sold my home basically literally my best friend from um high school actually flew out to las vegas in one-way ticket and then got me out of there. So I just packed a bunch of stuff into my then car, Mini Cooper, and then literally drove from drove from Las Vegas, Las Vegas to New York. No way. And I gave my keys to my uh, uh, roommate. I you know. And then a year and a half later, I showed like basically selavi. My first job here is with a uh, BR guest. Yeah, Bluefin, um, right? Bluefin, yes. And and this is the Bluefin Times Square. That's correct.
0: It's known as, it's it's a crazy operation still to this day. I mean, it's. It's a busy busy busy
1: restaurant, right? When we when I first started there, it was insane. Yeah. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure if we did 30 million in that year. Yeah. That's about, when Stephen Hansen was still running BR Guest. That know? is correct. Yeah. Yes. And we were doing some crazy crazy numbers and and I was running 10 plus million dollar revenue restaurant in Las Vegas in Shibuya. But nothing pre- This me. is
0: different, different scale.
1: Breakfast, lunch and dinner, 7 days a week. I think we had 350 seats. And that location, just imagine, it's all pre theater. So we genuinely and wholeheartedly fill every single seat of that uh, close to 400 seats in like less than 15 minutes because they all need to leave by 8 o'clock. We'll call.
0: They all have to turn at the
1: same time. Bluefin, really kind of, Bluefin in my career was the boot camp, Mm. right? That really kind of got me the discipline and the thick skin, and after Bluefin, I could have looked anybody in the eye and say, I've done it. Yeah, I cried, my, like, all my suits were ripped apart, and my feet were sweating so much. It's like physical and mental totally, yeah. breakdown. But I was able to kind of bring myself back up, and I wanted a little more uh, refined experience. Sure. So I was looking, and I applied to this restaurant called Matsugen which is uh, Jean-Georges and Machista brothers collaboration, uh, located literally three doors away from Corey. It was probably one of the most surreal experience ever because I remember, maybe I was serving, maybe I was a bartender. I remember my mother pointing at that restaurant when I was in teenager, saying like this super fancy, uh, Michelin three-star chef named Jean-Georges is opening uh, a restaurant on that corner. At that time, uh, the restaurant was called 66. He changed to Matsugen. And
0: that's where you ended up working.
1: Right. Wow. So it was kind of a pretty awesome homecoming.
0: Wow. And that was a, a more of a Japanese-French restaurant?
1: Yes. Actually, it was actually authentically uh, Japanese. Wow. Uh, Chef Jean-Georges had uh, literally not, you know, he didn't get involved in culinary aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was um, his Japanese partners, yeah. uh, Matsushita Brothers. And I'm sure
0: he just ran kind of the operational side of things, right? Mm-hmm. How did you make this jump from being a manager, managing the restaurants, to eventually going into restaurant ownership?
1: When it clicked was that I wanted to learn more, right? I wanted to learn as much as possible. I want to be a sponge. I want to soak in, soak in, soak in. And at some point, it kind of occurred to me that it's not soaking in too much anymore. A lot of these well-established places, regardless of what, when restaurant group matures, they mature into they go from planting to harvesting, right? So what I mean is, you know, when you first start, you just have to kind of, without harvest, you just have to plant, 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 plant. right? And then later on you harvest, harvest, harvest. So only way for me to really kind of um, learn more about how to plant is actually to start planting. You know, that when that happened, uh, it, was, it was very clear So after Mark, which was also another tolling, um, you know, you you and I both know how tolling restaurant, running, managing a restaurant can be. So I decided to take um, kind of a break. I joined um, Thomas Keller's uh, Bouchon Bakery. So I went from opening and closing the restaurant to uh, running a bakery that sells um, uh, a great croissant and coffee very different, and it was actually a pretty relaxing operation, you know, um, especially coming from where we came from, you know. So during that time, I had um, uh, enough time to kind of put together business plans, meet friends, and talk about it, and and meet the potential investors that I met throughout the career, right? My regular guests that are, you know, very affluent, you know, so I I would, so I utilized that time. So during the day, I'll sell Coffee and croissants, and during the night,
0: I you're looking for your investors.
1: Out. I also learned how to do over the counter, because ultimately, you know that fast casual, you know QSR thing is um, very important thing for you know financially to in the end, right? Right. So I wanted to kind of get that experience as well.
0: So now that Simon was coming to opening up his own restaurant, I was curious and asked him if the chef came first or if the concept came first or the space came first. Danny Meyer gave a really great talk at NYU a couple of years ago when I was still in school. And Danny had said that when he builds his restaurants, he thinks about these three things and kind of builds a restaurant around it. So that was kind of my curiosity with uh, Simon's first restaurant, which was actually called Pura. And so here he talks about the order of secessions
1: and how that restaurant came about. The concept came first, but concept was very vague. Yeah. I wasn't looking for Italian-Korean at all. Yeah. I wanted to find a chef who is a classically trained and who was doing non-Asian food. Was, uh, whether that was Greek, whether that was French, whether that was Italian, it didn't really matter. And what I wanted to do is basically find a chef and create this restaurant that is that has some out of a Korean hospitality and Korean angle- and Korean flavors, but ultimately, this is not a Korean restaurant at all. This is New York restaurant by New Yorkers, you know. And yeah. once I met uh, Chris, uh, Pierre, chef, that's when we just, dis- and we didn't have a name then. See? Uh, we're thinking, we're thinking, and then everything just all kind of fell into pieces in an organic manner. And I think that's one of the most important things that I see you know, I'm the restaurateur. Yes, I'm the person who's bringing the funds. Yes, I'm the person who's putting together a lot of things. But unless you have genuinely foolproof and like a pure conviction that this is the right move, you need to be flexible, right? Because you know, the chef. It, without chef, how can you actually create a concept? You know, once I met chef, once we were traveling, once we're, and it took me more than like a year to find the space, and. I, would have, I was at the verge of losing my chef, right? Because chef is like, hey, dude, I guess it's not our time. We got the money, but we can't find the space. It's easy to, th- I mean, because it's so, because it's so difficult to raise funds, you may, as an entrepreneur, think that once you raise the money, everything is kind of smooth sailing. But um, real estate game, especially back then, and especially when the times are good, uh, it's a really difficult game. So yeah. I would personally give yourself um you know, minimum of six months to maximum of two years until you find the right space. Wow.
0: So tell us about the space that you found because I think looking back on it, it was actually a great location for what you were trying to do in the West Village.
1: Yes, and it was magical how that happened. So this is actually a real magical story. So when I set out to open my own restaurant, I had some money in the bank. I, I, I gathered some money, and I was looking for interior designer. And I met this lady, a uh, wonderful lady, and she was like, Oh, and she showed me her portfolio, and she told me that um, I just designed this restaurant. Uh, You want to come and check it out? So I went to that restaurant at 430 Hudson, and it was a restaurant called The Goodwin. And I went in, and I met the owner, and they toured me the restaurant, the whole thing. It was, it was gracious enough. And literally, it was like dream come true restaurant, because the previous owner of um the Pura Space was... Uh, the landlord, and they built the building themselves. So they were actually builders. So their their profession is to turn uh, West Village uh, brownstones into a state of art. As a retirement project, they bought this building and they built this fortress of a space that is uh, 430 Hudson, that restaurant. So when I went toward the restaurant, and I, I worked for Jean-Georges, and for Thomas Keller, I was like, I've never seen anything like this. Wow. So now my mind is completely tainted, right? Because I have a limited amount of resource and I just saw this state of the art, like restaurant facility. And then I'm and he's like, Oh, good luck. And I'm like, you know, you literally have my dream come true, restaurant. Good luck, you know, and I start my journey. And of course the reality starts to kick in, right? Holy shit. Like the places that I'm looking at is rat infested. You know, it's run down. There's water leaking. It's smelly. You know, the reality of New York City real estate like with a finite budget. So I'm getting overly, overly disappointed, yeah. especially because I saw what it could be. Yeah. And again, I'm running out of options, running out of time, running out of money, and nothing is really sticking, you know. And my broker one day calls. It's like, Goodwin for sale two weeks later i had the keys
0: so did they did they recognize you when you went back and
1: on the understatement you know i mean they were like you know it was just such a fortuitous um, moment
0: how how long was that um process from when you first met them and saw the space to actually getting the keys i think less than eight months wow got the space have a chef and then did the name come
1: next no i think name came way before that yeah you know, we went to Korea together before before we had the space. And I think during that time, it, it came about. Yeah. yeah. How did you come up with the name? So I had a really um, silly name, you know, in the beginning. Uh, I, think <laughs> it, I think it was like something like here, you know. Here? Yeah, it was like made here. <laughs> <laughs> something like that, so, yeah. yeah. And then it got a little more cerebral, right? And I was looking at it as more personally. What does this mean? And what does this mean for my chef? And I came to realize that it's, you know, we all have worked a lot for other people's dream, you know? And this is our opportunity to blossom our own dream, you know? So Piora in Korean pronounced Piora is, definition is to blossom. So we want to blossom our own dreams. Yeah. I opened Piora and guests were happy and the food was phenomenal. And before we got our Michelin star, cause I think Michelin star kind of changed everything. But before that, before the star, it was a real, real struggle. So the moment I opened the door, it was busy. Mm-hmm. So we're busy. Everybody is saying, Simon, congratulations. You, wow, you know, like he hit it big, yeah. sort of a thing. So when I would go to my friends, you know, um, to hang out, in the very little time that I have, right? Because I'm at the restaurant at least 80 eight hours a week. And, like, and on a rare occasion, I'll go to my friends to hang out and they'll be like, they'll order a bunch of drinks as per usual and then they'll be like, oh, the tap is on Simon, right? Because he's a big restaurant owner. And what they didn't know is that I was actually in ginormous debt. Managing a restaurant and, run, and operating your own restaurant is a very difficult thing. That fiduciary duty because I don't have a finance background. I had no idea how to manage money, and I didn't. I had no idea how to control food costs and labor costs and all those you know important uh, financials. I just focused on hey, if I can make customer happy, just spend the money. So I'm busy, but there's negative um, balance in 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 our corporate account. So I reached out to my because payroll because once once the check bounces the life is over. You know, I just want to let everyone know who's uh, looking to uh, do business, don't let your checks bounce, you know. And obviously no one no one intends to, but when that happens, that's when the game's over. So, now I'm trying to figure out how to do this. So I I borrow like $30,000 from my friend, and I just put that in thinking that like maybe this will last, you know. Like literally 2 weeks later, gone. Gone. So I borrow another $20,000 from a friend. Like another 2 weeks gone. And then I am so now I'm, I borrow another twenty, so now I'm like seventy thousand dollars in personal debt and like can't go to sleep, restaurant's busy, like I don't know what to do. Yeah, it's, it's not, not just making like, sense, yeah. It's not making any sense. And 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 now I'm like go out to cool my head and then my friends are like, drinks are on you, you know, and I have negative accounts. So I remember like I actually went to the bathroom and then I actually snuck out because I just couldn't pay for it, right? Shit, yeah. And some real, real, real struggles. Yeah. You know? And then, um, like, I didn't, you know, a lot of crazy thoughts, you know. I actually was, like, going, a lot of negative thoughts were going through my head then. At this know? time, yeah. Because this was the dream, and dream was here, but I was we're not. dying, you know. And, and, the, and that dream was so fragile, you know, it could actually diminish at any second the moment I stopped borrowing money. When I was ni- like ninety thousand dollars in debt, and and I couldn't borrow any more money, and and I was literally ready to plug the, pull the plug, and somehow, you know, because until then you, you don't even think about Michelin star, right? I just opened the restaurant. What do you mean, like? Yeah. But for some reason, I remember like Michelin announcement is like next week, so it was like, so we without the Michelin star we would have definitely failed, like in less than a month. Yeah, you think so? I mean, I know so. I just couldn't, yeah. And then um, I remember we were all sitting there, like, maybe this is going to happen. You know, I don't know why. But we were all sitting there, refresh, 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 refresh. And then, um, and I, was, and chef was supposed to get a call. But I guess chef was downstairs in the kitchen where there's no signal. So I refreshed once. And then the list came up. I didn't see our name. Literally, there was like, I was. it was over. And... My manager back then was like, fuck yeah, <laughs> we,
0: are, we are
1: on. And then I think that just kind of, um, and we're crying, we hugged. And like the next day, you know, um, things just turned around. Just turned around. We were wow. doing first turn and the third turn and we're able to increase the price a little bit. Wine sales were better. Yeah. Literally, it just kind of wow. Like less than three months. I think in less than six months, I repaid all the debt. And then wow. I think we're on, a, on wow. the black. I learned so much through Piora mm-hmm. uh, in every essence, you know, every sense, whether that's financials to whether whether that is how to manage people, how to create cultures to yeah. what not to do yeah. and what to do. So did so, you have the idea for Code while you were still up? Absolutely. So actually coat and my uh coat and Pura overlaps. I learned so much and and I always wanted to do coat. Coat was um you know, as a Korean American, I wanted to do what I am, you know, personally and, yeah, personally. So I had an idea of uh, code way, way before I closed Piora. Oh. You know, as soon as uh, Piora got a Michelin star, I was looking for a space.
0: Mm-hmm. And so the idea was already materialized in your head at the time with the name and everything. Yes. Yeah. Talk to us about the two names. There is this
1: kind of like a ascension, if you will. Sure. So code was always the the final product. Code and piora is a very important thing for me. All en- entrepreneurs have a dream. Just like a flower, right? If a, if dream was flower, we all work for other flowers until we are ready to blossom our own flower, right? And the beauty of flower the reason why I love flowers is of course, you know, for the, for the obvious reason that flower is beautiful, it is, um, you know, very colorful and vibrant and whatnot. But more importantly, the vibrant beauty represents all the struggles that it's not blossoming, right? Uh, during the wintertime, uh, plants have to shrivel up and live through and survive through. And during the drought season, it needs to, like, weather through that drought season and flood season it goes through, it weathers through all the difficulties. And, you know, when the time comes, whether that is fall for sunflowers, whether that's spring, whether that's summer, whether that's fall, it, it blossoms. And I feel like without the struggles and without the, the resiliency it represents, you know, I, the beauty, I think we're looking at just the surface of the beauty.
0: You would think that having opened the restaurant now in New York City, that did really, really well that maybe the second time around will be a lot easier because now you know how to negotiate leases, you know how to collaborate with a chef, you know how to draw in a crowd, you know how to create a Michelin-starred restaurant. But for Simon, the second time actually wasn't that much easier.
1: It wasn't easy at all. You know, I think a lot to do with it is uh, when economy is good, you can't find a good space. Oh, Um, I see. Especially if you're starting off. uh, I thought that you know, with a Michelin star, I thought I was kind of like, "Hey, I'm looking for a space." Yeah. But um, when I was looking for larger spaces, you know, four thousand ground, four thousand, you know, I was looking for larger spaces. Those landlords don't really give a they don't, shit. They don't care. No, they're like, you know, who? I don't who what? Like Piora? Like yeah, what's Michelin? Like, how much money do you have, right? And uh, how, who's going to guarantee the lease? You know, what kind of guarantee are you looking for? Like, they're just a much more of an Number institutionalized. Of Landlords, so I start looking, and I look for more than two years to find current space that you have now. Yeah, and I was looking at only uh, Flatiron. Wow, you yeah. wanted to be in that neighborhood. I was looking at less than four. <clears throat> I wanted to be between Sixth Avenue to uh, Park Avenue,
0: mm-hmm.
1: above Nineteenth Street, below Twenty Third Street. Okay. And that was that was uh, that was the only radius that I was looking at. Was there was there a reason for that? Yes. The ultimate goal was to create a restaurant that is very much like me. I am not as cool as a downtown, but I'm definitely cooler than Midtown. <laughs> so, and I thought that kind of represents who I am and where I want to be. And, you know, it's about 10 blocks south of a, uh, 32nd Street, which kind of uh, where a lot of Korean restaurants are. So it kind of has a closer proximity, but it's far enough. And in my humble opinion, uh, that flat iron. Uh, building area that radius right you there's so many good restaurants so great so much great restaurants and also i call it the um, uh, Times square for good-looking new yorkers you know it's very busy and the park is right there it's very airy and i wanted to be there you know sure. more than anything else like i personally like that neighborhood right. so much so so i, I was just fo- focusing on that but there was very limited uh op- Uh, inventory Inventory, yeah so obviously i had to kind of look at other places you know just because i didn't have anything and i explored one deal it was on 27th street and you know broker and i got in and i liked it and the landlord was somewhat interested so i present my business plans financials blah 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 the whole nine. and this by the way is already about one year in after, like, we're about to get to the next stage, but the deal falls through. The landlord is like, no, we don't want this. You know? So I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is after, like, two months of really courting hard. Wow. Yeah. So I was disappointed. And then um, my broker, when I met this broker, he came to me first thing. And there's a restaurant on 22nd Street that he wants to show. The previous restaurant there, um, I didn't have a personally good experience with that restaurant. Oh, I see. So, I hired multiple people from that restaurant uh, into Coat because it was a great restaurant, um, you know, known as. But I didn't, it it just really happened in a negative way. All those three people didn't work out in a very like negative way. So, I thought that it's um, bad juju.
0: Yeah. Bad vibes.
1: Yeah. uh, Bad vibes. So, I told them, hey, listen, uh, I'm not interested in this space. So, I entertain a deal, and then that deal goes through, uh, 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 falls through. So he's like, again, that 22nd Street restaurant space is still available. He's reminding you, yeah. Like, dude, like, (laughs) no go, no bad juju. So we move on. And then we found another space that we liked. And now we're entertaining again. Like, I show them everything. I'm trying to convince, convince, convince. And that deal falls through again. Okay. And then I remember, we're having lunch on a beautiful day. And uh, my broker, his name is Don. Don brings out um, the 22nd Street restaurant. (laughs) is still available. And... I'm like, dude, holy shit, like, bad juju. Hold on. What's the, what's the address of the restaurant? So he, he goes 16 West 22nd Street. So I actually type that into my Google, uh, Google map, and then I pull up the, the, the Google map image of the street, rest- view, street yeah. view. And guess what? There is a guy flipping a bird at the car. No so, way. So I'm telling him it's bad juju. And I pull it up and I got flipped by looking at the this guy, like, you don't
0: even know. Like who is this guy? Yeah.
1: So now, now I'm intrigued, right? Like I gotta yo, yo, schedule a book. Like I gotta see this thing. Like it this is like so weird, right? So I went to see it. The broker doesn't come out. So I can't, like, I'm waiting for an hour in front of the in front of the space. I'm like, what is going on here? And then later the broker comes in and then she opens the door and Later, I found that it's a landlord herself. She actually opened the door for us. Oh, so it was by the owner. Yeah. I looked at it, and I was like, this is it. That's how it happened. When we are touring, Don was like, oh, you know, uh, excuse me, this is Simon Kim. You know, Simon's a Michelin star restaurant, yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And she literally puts hands in front of us and say, I don't want to hear it. Send everything into an email form. And this is a lady who came one hour late so we're like what is going on and then um and then of course i fell in love with the space and like a good entrepreneur you put your pride aside and you start courting like hell so it wasn't easy at all because uh she was very conservative uh uh, but fair landlord she came actually pretty straight you know simon actually there's um other restaurant group uh, that is putting in an offer until we see that deal through we won't be able to um, entertain your deal. So, but that was a really positive. Um,
0: That's very upfront to you, exactly, yeah. and
1: which I really appreciate. So, I, I remember writing her a very long email. So the email read as something like very personal. It was like, "This long email, please bear with me." And I told her, I basically I, I compared myself as a a, a a kid who always wanted to be a soccer star. Okay, so, and then, but. Because I had to provide means, I played basketball for all my life. And now this is a chance for me to play soccer, that is Korean cuisine. I know you have nothing to do with Korea and Korean culture, but ten fast forward 10 years, you look back and then see Korean cuisine flourishing. I hope you can say, I gave Simon Kim the opportunity to do that. Wow, you know? that's good. And so this was actually, I made it short, but it was a, like, long email. That's good. And now like I like few nights of lo- sleepless nights and I send the final send the email and next day I get a response.
0: Next day after you yeah. send it. Wow.
1: But mind you so this is after meeting her three times showing her the business plans, pictures, reference images, numbers, financials, the whole nine, you know. And then finally I send her that personal thing. So she should be very well aware of what is happening and what I'm about to do. But she sent me back a uh, one line uh, reply so what is it that you want to do so from then on um i took her to um a few of uh, a high-end korean uh, barbecue restaurant as well as japanese yakini just to show her just to show her and also i compiled a lot of um uh images and like articles from all over the world of like if there were some cool korean restaurants that's opening i kind of show them like that potential potentials and whatnot and i remember like hiring a you know nice car trying to act fancy you know I got her in a in a car, and then we toured New York City, going to stop by two different restaurants. And at that point, I think she really warmed up. If
0: there's anything I learned about Simon from sitting down with him and doing this episode, is that he's one tenacious guy. He does not take no for an answer and will follow his vision all the way through until it's actualized, which I I respect immensely from him. He's a very resourceful guy, um, but I couldn't let him him go before i had one last question for him which was you know what is your advice for every other budding restaurateur that wants to be you or wants to have their own restaurant
1: right the struggle (laughs) is real but without the struggle it really means nothing so while it's so difficult to embrace the struggle itself because there's nothing nice about it but um i hope you can see looking back how much stronger you're becoming through the struggle and eventually, the most beautiful flowers are the ones that goes through the most struggle. So if you stick through and don't give up and um, keep the passion burning, yeah. eventually blossom beautiful flower. And personally, uh, whoever you are, I'm very much looking forward to seeing the flowers. And that wraps
0: it up for episode one of season two with One Welcome. Simon, thanks for being on the show. You're so gracious with your time and, and for sharing your stories with us. Um, And if you haven't been to Goat yet, you definitely should go.